Good, good morning. What a fabulous morning. What a fabulous morning. It was so good, I didn't want to come in this morning. Because it was so good outside. I had a tough time walking in, bumped into a few people, said we should have church outside if it were possible. It was so gorgeous. It is so gorgeous. And it doesn't matter if it's going to rain and be 40 tomorrow. It's still gorgeous. God, every day, regardless, up, down, it's an amazing day because God is in it. Brother Barry's up here talking about seasons changing. It's wonderful to see the seasons change. And right now we're in this season where life's coming back, and it's just so wonderful and amazing. This morning, uh, taking it all in, looking out at the sun and the blue sky, I crack open... Uh, the Bible, uh, people say, where's your Bible, right? It's my electric or electronic. We have plenty of applications. So I use this, uh, my go-to usually is the Bible gateway. So I crack it open and always there is that verse of the day and it's speaking to me today. Uh, Romans 13, uh, verse eight, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves one another has fulfilled the law. It's about the law. And I'm going to be touching on this a little bit this morning. The law, the law that uh, isn't uh, something that is a a binding on us or a hindrance. Uh, The law, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote about that in Romans uh, chapter 13. But he wrote a lot about it in that letter to the Romans uh, in, in Romans 7, uh, Paul wrote that the, the law, uh, he said, you, brothers and sisters, he's writing to the church, brothers and sisters, you've uh, died to the law through the body of Jesus Christ, that you might belong to another, not that you belong or owned by the law, but that you belong to him, Jesus Uh, who, then Paul wrote, he went on, that's verse 12 in Romans 7, who was raised from the dead? Who was raised from the dead? Which, of course, we're celebrating, we continue to celebrate Jesus Christ alive. He rose from the dead. You know, Paul went on to write, the law is holy. The commandments are holy and righteous because the law identifies sin. And the apostle tried to explain, the law, it can't be kept perfectly that this is somehow your way to righteousness before Almighty God. No, it's only through Christ. Only through Christ, only Jesus. Uh, so that, I just, I loved it because it, it just sort of tees up. It sets the stage for what I want to bring this morning. And we talked last week about a life because last week was Resurrection Sunday. We, we touched on Again, the Apostle Paul, his letter to the church in Corinth, that 15th chapter that says, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile. You're still in your sins. But verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. It's a glorious, glorious thing. We talked about Jesus being the author of life. This is the way one of his close friends and companions, Peter, uh, described Jesus to a whole crowd of uh, Jewish people that Peter said, you are the purveyors of death. You killed Jesus. But Jesus beat death. He conquered it. He rose from the dead. And the author of life, this author of life, Jesus, his time here on earth, 
He talked about life. He taught about life. And one of the great places where you'll find a lot of this Jesus talking about life is John's gospel. John, he, of all the gospel writers of the whole New Testament, as a matter of fact, there's more about life in John's gospel. He mentions life more than any of the other New Testament writers or books. And the first words in his gospel, some of the very first words are about life. Uh, Verse number four, John 1, 4. In Jesus was life, life. And that life was the light of all mankind. John starts with life. And it's that verse four, it's a well-known line in John's gospel. But there are more. There are more well-known lines in John's gospel, more well-known passages about life, this great thing that is Jesus is all about because Jesus is life. And today I want to touch on one of those well-known passages from John chapter 10. Now put your finger, a bookmark in your device, whatever, to get to John chapter 10. And uh, we're going to look at uh, John chapter 10. I just want to give you a little bit of background, set the stage, give some context. John's approach to writing the Gospels was different than Matthew and Mark and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic Gospels because they present kind of a synopsis of events. They go through sort of summaries. They give you lots, broad, and they're also very similar, kind of synonymous. So they're synoptic. They're similar. They give these, these, these overviews, broad, uh, a broad view of things, not as much detail. But John, John took a different approach when he crafted his gospel. He gave less events but more detail. So sometimes you'll read an entire chapter of John. It's dedicated to one single event. And also, John touched on events the others uh, did not. For example, John, he's the only one that wrote about Jesus turning water into wine. Uh, John wrote about Lazarus being raised from the dead. Again, he's the only writer who took that on and dedicated pretty much a whole chapter to it. Uh, there's another account, John chapter 9, a miracle. John's the only one who records it about a man who was born blind. The man's been blind since birth. He's a grown man. He's an adult. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about this miracle. John chapter 9, the whole chapter is dedicated to detailing this out. I'll give you a, just a brief overview. The man was born blind. He would, he would go to the temple to beg to beg for uh, offerings and, and money to help him because, of course, it was tough for him to make a living because he was blind. Jesus uh, comes in contact with him one day and he reaches down and he gets some dust, the dirt, and he spits in it and he makes some mud and he rubs this mud on the man's eyes and he said, hey, go to this pool called Siloam. And wash that mud off your eyes. And it's interesting, Siloam means sent. And Jesus sent the man to the pool to wash. And the man went and he washed his eyes and he was healed. He could see. It was just a fabulous day for him. And of course, he was overjoyed. Who wouldn't be if you'd been born blind and now you could see? So he went home to his neighbors and he was just over the top his neighbors were saying hey how did this happen and the man told them there's 
a, 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 a guy, a man named Jesus, and he did this. He made some mud. He spit. He made mud. And he told me, go wash, and I'm healed. So this was big news, big news. And it's around Jerusalem. The word got to the leaders of the Jewish faith, the leaders of the religion, and they began to investigate what's going on, who's doing these miracles. They interrogated the man. They brought him in for a hearing, and it really wasn't very friendly. It was kind of adversarial. Who did this? How did he do it? They asked him questions. He's telling them, listen, it's Jesus. This guy healed me. Well, they weren't satisfied. They dragged in this man's parents. Now, he's an adult. His parents, they must be up in age a bit, and still they said, yeah, our son's healed. What can we say? The Pharisees, these leaders of the religion, they couldn't dispute. The miracle occurred. It happened. And what upset them, though, they asked, what day did this, what day did this Jesus do this? Well, it was the Sabbath day. It was the day of rest. So the Pharisees, they could not set aside the miracle. They couldn't deny the power of God. But they were upset and they accused Jesus of being a sinner, a lawbreaker, because he violated the law of the Sabbath. He worked on the Sabbath day. You know, he bent down and he got a little dust and he spit in it and he made some mud. That's work. Sinner. Sinner. He should be condemned. This man, the blind, the, the man who was formerly blind, uh, he, he, was, he was incredulous. You know, these Pharisees, they saw the law as black and white, and you need to uphold it to attain righteousness. This was their view. And this man says, how remarkable. You call Jesus a sinner. God would not listen to a sinner and give you such a great miracle and perform such a great thing. This man opened my eyes. If he weren't from God, he could do nothing. The Pharisees now, they're incensed, they're upset, they're really mad. They hurl insults at the man. They say, you've been steeped in sin since birth, and they kicked him out. Word gets to Jesus. They kicked the man out. So Jesus searched for this man. He found him. He started talking to him. He explained to him, I'm the son of God. He spoke of spiritual things. He said, those who see, they're really blind. Now, there were some Pharisees that had gathered around as Jesus found this man, and they were kind of eavesdropping, listening in. And when they heard Jesus say, there are those who see, but they're really blind, they spoke up. They said, hey, are we blind? Now, Jesus, the question just, it was rhetorical. He said, oh, now that you claim you're not blind, I need to talk to you. And this is how John chapter 10 opens. So you've got this great context, huge miracle. John chapter 9 is all about it. Now John chapter 10 opens Jesus. He's got some tension with these Pharisees, and he's going to show them just how blind they are to the things of God. He offered them, the opening of John chapter 10, an illustration of shepherds and sheep and thieves. The illustration kind of... Uh, speaks about shepherds who share a pen. Multiple flocks in one pen. There's a gatekeeper, 
And when a particular shepherd comes and he calls his sheep, they know his voice. They know that shepherd's voice and they follow that shepherd. And Jesus says, if someone else comes like a thief, those sheep will not listen. And the implication, it, it is that Jesus is the true shepherd and the Pharisees, these leaders of the, the faith, they are like the thieves. They are trying to lead people, steal people that truly don't belong to them. And then John writes an interesting line. The Pharisees did not understand the illustration. Jesus tried again. So now we are at verse number 7, John chapter 10. And I want to read verses 7 through 10, and we'll get to this well-known line about life. John 10, verses 7 to 10. Therefore Jesus said again. So he's trying again because these guys don't understand. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, if you read the remainder of John 10, you'll find well, the Pharisees didn't like this illustration either. They get to the point where they accuse Jesus of being demonic. You're a demon. Now, perhaps they were beginning to realize that Jesus was from God, that he was from God, and he had just claimed, I'm the gate. I'm the only way. I'm the only way into the sheep pen, the kingdom, it's only through Jesus. He is the gate. And he pointed to the Pharisees as thieves. And how did he describe the thieves of the sheep? They come to steal and kill. Steal and kill. The contrast, death and life. This is, this is a contrast throughout God's word. You thieves, you Pharisees, you come to steal, destroy, kill but the shepherd, Jesus, the true shepherd, he came that the sheep might have life and life to the full. Now this line, John 10, 10, this is a very well-known line of scripture. You, you could find hundreds and hundreds of sermons on this particular verse of scripture. You may know it. You may have heard it in a different English version that says the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly, more abundantly, full. The abundant life promised by Jesus, this is a very popular preaching and teaching theme. And it doesn't take long to find a sermon, a podcast, a blog, a book about the abundant life. Now, I'll just give you a little snapshot. I took a few minutes to look up abundant life sermons, that kind of thing. Just a little snapshot from a Christian perspective because there's tons of new age perspectives about abundant life. Don't go there. Christian perspectives on, on abundant life. And these are some I'd say don't go, don't go there either. Let me tell you. Let me, let me just give you the little snapshot. A few of the lines. God wants you. God wants you to have a full life abundantly. 
God desires that you have an abundant mind, revelation, knowledge, supernatural mental abilities, and a sharp mind until the day you go to heaven. Living the abundant life promised by Jesus, you can receive a hundredfold return on your money and live in financial prosperity. Here's another. Jesus promised favor and abundance. You do not have to live with lack. One, one famous preacher wrote, God wants us to have success in every aspect of life. I saw this, I read this, an argument from a Christian professor, Christian professor, taught many years at university, a New Testament scholar. Since Jesus promises an abundant life, life to the full, then denying sexual expression to sexual urges does not look uh, to achieve a fullness. So the abundant life teaching of Jesus must allow expression of our sexual orientation and sexual relationships. That was a new one to me. I hadn't heard that was the abundant life. But hey, we can all learn something new. Uh, and then this. This one was a, a podcast I heard, very well-known, famous preacher. He said, God dreams, God dreams that you, that, that you have prosperity and your prosperity should overflow. Because, why? Because King David, King David said, my cup overflows. Now, th that's, from Psalm number 23. It's a very, very popular, well-known song. Psalm penned by Israel's King David. And it begins, the Lord is my shepherd. And there's one phrase, one phrase lifted from Psalm 23. My cup runs over, my cup overflows. And that means the good shepherd, Jesus, has promised you a life of prosperity overflow. Man, there's so many. It, you know, you read these things and learn these things. You think, man, Christianity is awesome. I'm going to be rich, hundredfold. I can do whatever I want, satisfy all my urges. Of course, who wouldn't want to be Christian? So many teach and preach. This is the meaning of John 10, 10, is that you have everything. You have everything you ever wanted because that's what God wants for you. That's what he desires for you. And so I ask the question, simple question, is that what God wants? Does God desire that? Does God want that? So many use the phrase, God wants, God wants. Does God want us to have an overflow of stuff, of stuff? Does God want all my physical urges to be satisfied? Is that what God wants? So many preach it and teach it because John 10, 10 says, well, Jesus promised an abundant life. And is that what Jesus said? Let's... Let's not lift a single phrase. Let's not just peel out a phrase from the Bible and make it some kind of doctrine. Recall the scene. I gave you a whole, whole bunch of context for a reason. Jesus had healed a blind man on the Sabbath day. John's gospel gives us tons of detail, tons of detail about the incident. Jesus healed the man on a Sabbath day. Now, what happened? He aroused the anger of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. For a chapter and a half, John writes of the details. And then this tension between Jesus and the Pharisees and how, they, how, they're, they're, uh, how they're interacting, these confrontations. And Jesus, by a way of an image, the image of sheep, shepherd, and thief, 
he identified himself as the true shepherd, Pharisees as thieves who come to kill. Jesus often identified these Pharisees as hypocrites. He called them blind guides. He said they're whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Matthew 23 gives saying after saying of Jesus about the Pharisees. Uh, early on, Matthew 23, 4, how about this one? About the Pharisees, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Now, for an ordinary Jewish citizen, life according to the religious leaders, the religious elite, these Pharisees that ran Judaism, what was it? It was heavy, burdensome, cumbersome loads. One example of the load that the Pharisees put on people, the ordinary citizens, was the the litany of rules and regulations concerning the Sabbath day. John chapter 9, Sabbath day, they... They were angry, angry that Jesus would heal a man on the Sabbath day. What did he do? He spit. He made a little mud. Well, that was work, violation, sinner. You know, forget about the blind guy. Forget about the miracle healing. Forget about compassion and mercy. Nope, we cannot have that because work was done on the Sabbath day. You know, Jesus once pointed out to the Pharisees that if their donkey fell into a ditch on the Sabbath day, what would they do? They would pull it out. But heal a man blind from birth? Nope, that's a sin because you did it on the Sabbath day. And that's just one example. One example of the burdens, the burdens, the heavy load that the Pharisees put on the Jewish people. Another example, another example, the Pharisees once Uh, saw the disciples of Jesus eating, and they hadn't washed their hands. Ceremonial, unclean, violation. Jesus, why are your disciples doing this? What are they doing? They're defiled. Now, Jesus responded by pointing out, he said, hey, the commandments say, honor your father and your mother. And what do you guys do? Your parents need help. They need funds. You direct your money to the temple. You call it, Corbin, you know, dedicated to God. And how does that work? You enrich yourselves. You, you, you work at the temple. You, put, you see how it works? You put the money in. You're taking care of yourselves. You forget your parents. And you're calling out my guys because they didn't wash their hands. Now, Pharisees were greedy. They were greedy, uh, even to the point of neglecting the care of their elderly parents. Jesus said they were lovers of money. Burdens that would result in people calling sin, uh, being called sinners. This is what they put on people as they sought wealth in their own lives, comfort in their own lives. Put the burden on the people. Call Jesus a sinner for healing on the Sabbath. None of the rules and regulations that the Pharisees put on the people brought life. Their law did not bring life. This is Here's the context of John 10.10. Their rules, they were burdensome. They didn't bring life. They brought death. And Jesus, again, by the way of the illustration, he said, thieves come to kill and destroy. To these Pharisees who had wealth and comfort and, and they craved more, Jesus said, I have come that the sheep may have life and have life to the full, abundant. 
So does it make sense that the full abundant life would be the life of comfort and wealth and satisfaction of the Pharisees? Makes no sense. It doesn't even fit. Because their life was dead. It was dead. They could, they could bring in all kinds of, of their stuff, money to the temple. What, what if all they had was a hallelujah? Well, they would say you're poor and you're a sinner. Their, their way was dead. It was a dead end. Now the life, the life that Jesus offered and he referred to was life, life that was unencumbered by the pharisaical rules. It was a life that was not burdened by that. Uh, again, go back to just what I said at the open. How do you fulfill the law? Gee, you made some spittle, uh, mud spittle on, on the Sabbath day. Well, that's, that's a sin. That's not what the apostle wrote. Spoke about loving and loving one another, and this is how you fulfill the law. These Pharisees had none of that. No compassion, no mercy. And, and life, the life Jesus offered was, was so different than what they thought was life. They brought death. John chapter 10 continued. It continued describing the interaction and the tension of Jesus and the Pharisees. Near the close, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said this. John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I gave them eternal life and they shall never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds real abundant to me. Sounds way better than stuff. Sounds way better than satisfying your sexual urges. It's eternal life. And, and no one, no one to snatch you out of, out of the hand of your Savior. Yeah, this, this abundant life, it, yeah, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And it has nothing to do with health and wealth and all kinds of the other earthly prosperity. And it's not a burden of rules and rituals. It's a gift. It's a gift. Listen to what Jesus said. I give them eternal life. Man, that is life that's full. I want to receive that. I want to call that the abundant life. Uh, uh, life Life that's the gift from Jesus, that's eternal. Life begins with Jesus. If, if, if you don't have Jesus and you think you're living life, I, I want to tell you, life begins with Jesus. You haven't even begun living. You have not begun living outside of Christ. Life begins with Jesus. Jesus is life. In him was life. This is how John started his gospel. Abundant life then as for this thing called abundant life, abundant life is knowing, knowing every moment of every day that the source of life is Christ alone. It's Jesus. And with him, him alone, you're assured of eternal salvation, eternal life that no one can ever take away. He said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. Thank you, God. That is life more abundant. You know, whatever your day holds, you got abundant life when you're in Christ full life when you have eternity assured through Jesus and Jesus alone. It don't matter if you're rich or poor. 
on a day you're rich, you got Jesus, that's abundant. You're poor. You can't rub two nickels together. You got Jesus, you're rich. You're rich. And I'd tell you, just go read uh, Revelation chapter 2 about the church in Smyrna. It says, you are poor. But let me tell you, you're rich because they had Jesus. They relied on Jesus. That is the abundant life. On a day you're healthy, thank God, yes, abundant life. Day you're sick, you're, you're ill, you got you, issues, hospital, whatever. You know Jesus? Life's full, life's abundant. Day that's up, a down day. Abundant life is not assurance of an overflow of wealth and riches. Because let me tell you, when you're in that down state and you got all the money in the world and it can't do a thing for you, <laughs> You're nothing without Jesus. You're nothing. Abundant life, is, it's not the assurance of this overflow, uh, you know, the overflow doctrine or the overflow anointing just because David said, my cup overflows. You know, that's a single phrase lifted out of context. When David wrote Psalm 23, the king of Israel, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I won't be in need. It was, you know, he didn't write about a day in the palace basking in the sunshine and, you know, living a life of, of overflow. No, it was a day with his enemies. That's what he wrote about. He wrote, Lord, you're my shepherd. You prepare a table before me. What, when I'm surrounded by my, by my friends and loved ones? No. He said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Uh, in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You want the overflow blessing? Well, maybe when your, your enemies are surrounding you, you can start talking about it. This is what David was writing about. And let me tell you, David lived days of great comfort and luxury. He was a king for crying out loud. He had all kinds of days of luxury and what you'd call worldly overflow. But he had days of pain and he had days of lack and he had days of suffering and living in caves. Some, of, some days, all David had was hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's all he had because he was living in a cave being chased by his enemies. And he could write, Lord, you prepare a table before me. See, his life, David's life was a life of seasons, a life of seasons, seasons of plenty, amazing plenty, times of want, seasons of joy, days of mourning, Days surrounded by friends and loved ones and days surrounded by enemies. You know what? Those are seasons of the human experience. We all experience this. It's not, coming to Jesus does not guarantee you like, hey, it's just going to be overflow for now and forever. No, life is still uh, lived here on this earth with seasons that we all experience of joys and sorrows, ups and downs. And I know every single one of you can testify to that. Every single one of you. And you know, it's easy to love on the Lord and acknowledge him and say, thank you, God. When the sun's shining outside, the sky's blue, and everything is just clicking along. You're riding, uh, you know, all eight cylinders are firing. Life's good. You, you know, you're smiling. You got joy. Of course, of course. Thank God. Be grateful. But when the trying time comes, the issues, like David said, Lord, Lord, you're my shepherd. You know, when a season or a day brings something like pain, you know, or for David, for David, when he had a lack or sorrow, you know, David didn't forget, God, you're my source. You alone are my source. His life was abundant despite the pain, despite the lack, despite the sorrow. 
in the presence of my enemies. Lord, my shepherd, you set me a table. You anointed my head. Yeah, my cup overflows even when I'm surrounded by spears and swords. My enemies. David could not win God's favor, you know, with riches and wealth. He couldn't through formula and ritual, legalism, never going to do it. It wasn't through the rules and the rituals or any of it. And he couldn't do it. Neither could the Pharisees as much as they wanted to be black and white. And neither can we. The overflow anointing was there for David because he had faith in God and he acknowledged him as his shepherd and his source and his leader and and the one who supplied everything for all of life. David and David lived before Jesus. You know, Jesus even said, Jesus pointed to David and said he lived and, and he died before me. And he was the one who said, Lord, say to my Lord. He was, he was prophesying about Jesus. He didn't have the promise that we have. He didn't live after Jesus like we did. We live after the resurrection, a glorious thing. Jesus came and, and he died and he was re- resurrected and he came to bring life, life to the full. And he gave his life to secure that and, and therefore assure to all of us eternal life. Man, that's a beautiful thing. I want to close with this line of scripture from John chapter 10. And it's not verse 10, it's verse 11. Let's read both of them. Verse 10 and verse 11. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life, not the burden, not the cumbersome rules of, of those who want to steal and kill. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus laid down his life for you, for me. And there's nothing we can do to earn that. And, you know, if we think that he gave up his life for us and now we should get stuff. And now we should just be able to satisfy every one of our physical urges. That's misguided. It's not scriptural. And, and, And don't... Don't take that in. Jesus died for you and me. We have life, and we have life to the full because of our good shepherd. Let's be grateful for that. Let's thank Jesus for that every day, sun or rain. And if you're tempted, if you're tempted, you hear these podcasts or, or these sermons on the abundant life, and you're, if you're tempted to think somehow that you don't have the abundant life, that Jesus talked about because you just don't have enough material possessions. You don't have enough stuff. Or, or you know, you've been sick. You've been, you've been hurt. You, or there's some other trouble in your life and you just think, oh, I don't, I don't have the abundant life. Don't think that. No, that's wrong. That's wrong thinking. Think this. You've come through the gate. You have come through the gate of eternal life. His name is Jesus And no one can ever take that away from you, rain or shine, up or down. Be assured that the good shepherd is your source for life. Life now, life forever. He's going to bring you through what what we have on this earth no matter what. No matter what. He said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. So whatever the day holds, no, the good shepherd laid down his life for you. He set a table of life before you he anointed you with eternal life oh man that's abundant 
never to be snatched out of his hand. You can rely on him always. And you can have life to the full. Whatever season, whatever day, whatever you're experiencing. And I, I pray you receive that this morning. I pray you receive that this morning. Let's stand, let's pray, let's go before our God and leave here with that assurance. And I wanna say if there's anyone here, you don't have the assurance. You just don't have it. You're just not assured Jesus died for you and he won for you eternal life. You're still seeking the stuff like, oh, I can, if only I have this or this and then life would, give it over, give over. Yield to the good shepherd who laid down his life. He, he is the source of it. And, and I just, I, I encourage you today, it's for eternal life, forever and ever. Let's pray, Lord, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for, for all, all the souls here in this house, God. And, and Lord, uh, if there's any here who have just really never, never latched on to this truth, Abundant life is through Jesus Christ, the gate, the one, the only way to God. Lord, I just pray. I pray, Lord, there's, there, those hearts would be turning to you with sincerity and genuineness, God. And Lord, if there's any here who've, who, who have been tempted to think, ah, they're missing out because they don't have this or that or they've got less than so-and-so or uh, the, whatever the case may be, uh, God, I just pray you'd encourage them by the power of your Holy Spirit. You've won them life forever you have them you have them for eternity they can never ever be taken from you and they've repented and turned over to you god i pray you just bless everyone in this in this house and everyone listening with that great assurance you are the good shepherd you laid down your life for us and we don't need anything else we don't need anything else if all we have is praise the lord that's enough for you that's enough. You, are, you have given us this life, and, and we appreciate it. We appreciate it wherever we're at, whatever season we're in. We thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for that blessing. And I just pray it rests on, on all here, and, and, and they take it with them and share it. God, I pray it in Jesus' holy, holy name. Amen.